Hello, and welcome to Force for Thought. Today, Matt's going rogue. Matt, what are you going rogue about? Guys, today I'm going rogue about how Star Wars came to be. Oh, okay. No music setup, huh? Yeah, that was a good pause. Though. <laughs> that was a good natural pause. It'll make editing easy. All right. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Hello and welcome back to Force for Thought. Today I'm going to be talking about how uh, Force for Thought came to be, how Star Wars came to be, and not necessarily in the typical fashion of, uh, I guess, the. I mean, it's more or less the backstory of how it came to be as, and as we know it. Um, you know, talking about George Lucas's development, you know, what how he got to where he was when he made Star Wars specifically. So I thought I'd give a brief little bit of a history. So, in when George Lucas was in college, he made a short called TH1138, in which which is insane because afterwards he he ended up making this film. I knew that because of Cell Block 1138 in Star Wars. <laughs> there you go. And his right Francis Francis Ford Coppola, director of The Godfather, produced this for him with him. And this movie um, are they the same age? Like they were nobodies together? I, yeah, it was basically like a group, I feel like. And there's roughly, there's an X amount of age. There's Martin Scorsese, there's Steven Spielberg, there's George Lucas, and there's Francis Ford Coppola. This is, this is this kind of gang of directors who are all very famous and some of the best directors of, of all time. I've, I've heard that before. Is that one of those things where it's like history is written by the victors where it just so happens that they made it big? Was there like actually 15 people in that group and they only talking about that? John. <laughs> right. There definitely could have been. But they made a, the feature length based off of the short after college, which is an insane feat. And then in 1971, when it was released, they also had a novelization on it, which is somebody's dream right there is to make a movie based off of a short you did and then have a novelization of it, right? Sorry, I know I'm cutting you off a lot for your Rogue One okay. right off the bat, but didn't you make a feature film off of a short that you made already? I mean, there was no novelization, so okay. that's the that's the, that's yes. the distinction. We gotta, I'm, we gotta I'm working on it in my spare time. That's true. <laughs> so when the duo showed it to Warner Brothers, they disliked it so much they had an in-house editor come in and recut the film. I found some conflicting things that this actually helped. If this actually happened, I saw something that George Lucas stole the film away before they could re-edit it. I saw that they actually did re-edit it, which is obviously not the first and last time that an edit would save his movie. New Hope being the other one, obviously. And who knows, honestly, if there's other ones too. Um, and so within this, they got mixed reviews. It came out to very average box office success. People, I think, praised it. People disliked it, right? It just depended. And this is TH1138. This is TH1138. And sci-fi ruled the 70s, right? You had you had monster movies, right, with giant, you know, 50-foot women from the 50s and even going into the 70s. So you sci-fi, you had like Logan's Run. You had all these movies and all and sci-fi was kind of all the gas. Same thing with Star Trek, right? In the 60s and the movies were coming back now. And so the 70s were all about sci-fi. You had Future World, the Planet of the Apes series, uh John Carpenter's Dark Star before he made Halloween. Um and so after the average success of THX, Francis Ford Coppola was like, George, you have to make a movie for the audience. You have to make, but you have to get butts and seats. And what do you do? Sorry, I'm lost. What's THX? THX is the first movie. THX 1138. Oh, I, Sorry, thought, I thought it was I, just TH1138 and THX because that's a company. It is THX. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Which is also very confusing. Yeah, that's where I was lost. The whole entertainment one. So um, then George Lucas went off and made American Graffiti because he signed uh, as, uh, with the deal uh, for two for two films. This is also American Graffiti and Star Wars are both in AFIs, which is the American Film Institute's top 100 movies of all time, which is crazy. Star Wars is number 13. American Graffiti is number 62. 
So it seems high. I didn't think American graffiti was that well received. It wasn't. So here's the well, kind of. I guess it was received really very well, but like it is mind boggling to me that it is in AFI's top 100 movies. It's a great. It's a good movie. You guys seen it? I no. have not. No. Too so, old. This is kind of where we're I getting think there's music in it. Is there singing in it? It's a musical. Uh, no, it's not a musical. Oh, never mind. It's like vignettes of. That would piss me school. off to no end if George Lucas was a backdoor musical director <laughs> and he just left it out of Star Wars all this time. So this the whole thing is right. So we're getting this little bit of um, him trying to make people in seats, right? This is that's his first task. And THX one one three eight is kind of that first little notch of like, okay, didn't really work out, but he loves sci-fi seventies, very much sci-fi. So he makes American graffiti, and this is a love letter to cruising around, meeting girls, and driving cars. This is what this movie is. It's about these high school graduates on the last day of summer vacation before they have to go and basically enter the real world. Um, or maybe it's their senior year. Honestly, it's been a minute since I saw this movie. Um, but I was either way, say, that doesn't really make sense because it's not a definitive date that you enter the real world after high school. But one of them I know is uh, like, I believe, is it gearing up to go to the army or something? So it's been a very long time since I've seen uh, American Graffiti. Um but he, in this movie, he knew how important the soundtrack was. And this is where another notch gets made, where he fought for Elvis songs to be in this movie, even though that is going to kill the budget, obviously. And so he's fighting for this soundtrack to have a stellar soundtrack in order to really understand what 1962 felt like. In 1962, you have, obviously, every couple of years within the to the new decade, you have a lot of bleed over from the last, the last, right? You have very, it's very 1950s, it feels like. What year did this movie come out? This movie came out in 1973. 73, and it's set in 62. Yes. Interesting. And so that's like his time in high school, right? That's yeah. like, that's almost right around that time. So we knew how important music was, right? Again, it's about the high, uh, it's about the high school graduates on the last evening of the summer vacation, 1962. Um. Okay, so during this time, he basically paid no money to make it. It took him about two and a half years to film, edit it, and obviously we're talking pre-production. Production, post-production, you know, the three phases of actually filming, and took him two and a half years. He basically made no money. He made this deal with UA United Artists, in which he would make two movies after THX, which is American Graffiti, and then one that would be, eventually, kind of Star Wars, even though he didn't make it with UA. So they printed the money, uh, but Universal didn't want to release it. And so this is the thing: after two and a half years, he had no money and a movie that he couldn't release, which means he spent two and a half years doing virtually nothing. Because it means if he released didn't release the movie no one would know his name he, the last thing he did was thx 1138 1971 why now didn't universal want to release american graffiti because they thought it was terrible oh and so they did not want to release it right they did not want to hedge their bets on him so uh he had to make another uh another another movie because he needed to make, make obviously more money so he went to and pitched them this new sci-fi movie and they turned it down and so basically, then George Lucas spent the next like six months trying to find a distributor for American Graffiti. He went all around town giving it to, to studios, giving it to heads, execs to be able to release this movie. So he finally gets uh, a shot with 20th Century Fox, as we all kind of know, right? He loved it, and he asked, uh, what's next for him? So he was like, oh, I have this kind of space opera idea. So he, the guy was like, I'll front you the money. So he fronted him $20,000 to go write the sci-fi movie which in today's money is $115,000 to go write a movie which is That's insane actually because and in this interview George Lucas was like yeah I'm just like I was able to have like a good meal for the first time I was able to do all this stuff I was like well yeah you just got paid $115,000 to go write a movie 
So George Lucas goes and writes, starts writing Star Wars. And six months later, uh, the American Graffiti comes out and is a huge success. Everyone loves it. And so instead of going back to the studio to be like, hey, I want more money to for this next movie I'm going to direct, that's when he says, he's been, again, he's been dicked over by studios before. UA and Universal didn't want to release the American Graffiti. He, THX was, well, you know, wanted to be re-edited. And so what he does is instead of asking for money, which he could have done, he decided to ask for the licensing rights to the toys, and he decides to ask for the sequel rights. And they give them to him, no problem, because they're going to, who cares, right? It's a whatever movie that he's hedging his bets on. And nobody else, again, within this time, you know, again, Francis Ford Coppola had made The Godfather the same year uh, he made French, the same year as, the year after American Graffiti, I think 1974, The French Connection came out, came out, no, that's not true, 1973. French Connection came out, which is Francis Ford Coppola, one of the best movies of all time as well, not my personal favorite. Um, but then The Godfather 2 is about to come out, so Francis Ford Coppola is already kind of cemented and stuff. Steven Spielberg is making TV movies and directing episodes of TVs. Jaws is still a full year away at this point. And Martin Scorsese doing smaller movies like Mean Street, but was yet to do Taxi Driver. So within this group, they're all pretty successful, but George Lucas now all of a sudden is like taking a different direction. He's betting all of his money on Star Wars, basically. And I think what I'm saying, like how we got to this point specifically and how Star Wars was made was because George Lucas could have easily had no control over the sequel, the sequels to this movie. He could have easily had no control over the toys. Well, basically the whole thing was if he gets the toy money, he's able to fund the sequel movie if the money doesn't get made for star wars because he's like either way i want to write this so he wrote he says he wrote it as a six hour movie and he had to break it into three parts there's no way he wrote empire and return obviously right Lawrence casdian like there's right he but he wrote the draft that it's a three a six hour movie and then break when broken into three parts there's also no way you write a draft of a six hour movie and have it begin and end with two different death stars exactly that had to have been some other input <laughs> unless that was like a draft one and he was like okay mm, i'll replace that some other time and then just never did he, he had a treatment he finished the first movie's script and then he was like yeah then in the third one there's a hot chick in a bikini and uh you know the emperor dies and all as well and that's about it <laughs> i'll send the well, be, uh, yes and so i mean that's because like all these little steps i think really made to Star Wars what what it was because he could have easily not have had any control of the sequel which means we you know we wouldn't have Empire and that's the thing is like when you're breaking things down into three parts you have, you say you have a six hour movie that is like that's what the Duffer Brothers do with Stranger Things and this could easily be them copying George Lucas's theory and ideas to you know sound smarter or whatever I don't think it is though but they're like we wanted to tell a movie in eight parts and we just broke it down to an hour section which i think is a really interesting way to to look at things so instead of writing episode one be like okay where do we go from here the whole thing is plotted out and you see it as this grandiose kind of adventure and i think that is what george lucas did in his head at least is you know having certain things in mind i don't know if they decided that it was you know vader was going to be luke's father or anything off the bat but the fact that he had some sort of sketch and outline and he you know he pitched it to them and he was like but i'm going to do this as a part one so they knew the sequels instantly were going to be hopefully presumably made. But I think basically he saw the industry and how they treated him and he treated them the same way back in order to secure the legacy of Star Wars. Um, again, he didn't ask for more money. He just simply asked for the licensing rights for the toys and the 
the sequel rights, which is an insane way to go, especially when you have your friends like Francis Ford Coppola, like Steven Spielberg, like Marty, Marty Scorsese, like I'm friends with him, like, like Martin <laughs> Scorsese, you know, good old Steven Marty, um, like these people who are already semi-successful. I mean, semi-successful. I mean, The Godfather, again, you know, people consider it the best movie of all time. And so you have these friends who can who probably would tell you not to do that. Just take the money and run, right? But instead, he does the opposite, and he just, he he bets it all. And then after that, you know, he gets the money, obviously. Now he has quadruple money, basically, right? Because he has the money from the toys, and he has the money from the, the movie made, which was a way above what anybody else thought. And so then that's when he goes and creates ILM, like, officially. And then that's why, he, supposedly, he also stops directing, right? Because he wants to focus on this company. And that's what we're talking about with uh, James Cameron, how and how he how he is doing more of the producing, I guess, side of things and directing and making sure technology advances. And obviously we all know that with ILM, um, you know, how much technology has advanced specifically with them. Um, and also I would like to do, maybe we should do a mainline episode, maybe Rogue One about um, industrial, I was just going to say ILM. Uh, what's it called? The documentary. I can't think of it. Light and Magic. Uh, light is magic. it just light yeah, and magic? Yeah. Yes, I watched it. I loved it. I would a do it. Really good documentary. It's yeah. one of my favorites. I'd say. Yeah, but I think because I was so like interested in the story and I knew it from like a very high level. But after like episode one or two, it was like a big cliffhanger. I was like, oh my god, what happened with this company? I cannot believe like how dramatic it all was. I know, given how successful Star Wars and ILM is and how tumultuous it was behind the scenes it was I know. a stressful watch and the I, thing that blows me away when i when i watched that the first time was i didn't realize all of the technological um like evolution that came out of that company alone like it was the first company to do like digital editing but then also like pixar came out of it and yeah i think like apple somehow came out of that too and something like there was like photoshop and everything too photoshop yeah the adobe suite right like they like adobe kind of started there or whatever it's crazy exactly yeah, I, you get really swept up in the, well, I guess maybe I should save this for now when we do this mainline episode, but when you're watching it, you get like swept up in the drama of it, and you know yeah. like Star Wars got made, and everything was successful, and it all worked out, and so on the one hand, you're not that worried, but then it's also like, you only have three shots? Oh my god, what are they gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I think, I also think that's like something with Star Wars or George Lucas, where the first movie, he puts so much, which is why, John, speaking of Light and Magic, why John Dykstra was only part of the first one. And he was a huge part, obviously, of ILM. He won an Oscar, didn't he? Yes, exactly. They named the camera after him. Boom. And so then why, so then why, so for, I don't know, I feel like there's something about, like, George Lucas at this point then, he wants to obviously have complete control. And I think he doesn't want Yes Men originally. Unlike he wanted the prequels, right? The prequels, I think everyone was just like, yes. Doug Chang, I feel like he's a very much a bigger yes man from all the interviews we've seen of him. I love Doug Chang. Really? I've never, like never gotten that vibe. There's that really? famous clip of George Lucas after like the first screening of Phantom where he yes. just sits back and goes, I may have gone a little too far in some places. My, one of my favorite clips of all time. It's <laughs> in the dark, grainy room and he's clearly like, hmm. I think it's George <laughs> Lucas's house, isn't it? It probably, probably has to yeah. be. But I think like like Don Dreikstra in this in this era isn't a yes man and i think it is a collaborative place in that fact well, sorry i'm just thinking about actually being in that room that day when they showed the first rough cut of the phantom menace that person got out his camera and wanted to get the first reaction of george lucas's 
thunderous applause and pride and everything. And just the vibe was completely different from what he was expecting. He was like, oh, God, I got to turn this off. <laughs> he was expecting a single tear to roll down his cheek, saying, it is beautiful. It's the I've most done it magnificent again. thing I've ever seen in my life. I love the... The rest of that clip where he's like, it's 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 bold in terms of jerking the audience around from scene to scene. It's, <laughs> it's just like clearly it's like, how do you justify what you have <laughs> just watched? Um, but that's kind of I mean, I know this is a pretty quick Rogue One, um, it feels like. But I that this is to me how Star Wars really came to be again, not in the fact of how it was. I guess technically how it was written or how was it made, like with all the behind the scenes stuff and the fact of ILM and the fact of um, having all of these different components but just the fact of thx 1138 and then having american graffiti both really teach george lucas really important lessons in order for him to make star wars i mean like it is pretty crazy that thx 118 came out in 71 american graffiti in 73 and then you have this four-year gap clearly obviously when you're doing majority of actually making star wars um whether it's writing or whether it's not and i think just those bold moves and then the fact that some random guy gave him a chance to release American graffiti that just so happened to strike a nerve um, and then release everybody. And also that's, you know, American graffiti, the main star of that is Ron Howard, which is obviously, you know, he goes on to direct solo. I mean, he goes on to direct solo. seems like that's the only thing he did in his career, but uh, you know, I, I he also uh, birthed Bryce Dallas Howard who went on to direct the Mandalorian. Oh my that's God. The other thing. <laughs> yeah. He did. He, he birthed her. <laughs> birthed. I, yeah. He's the man. Cut that. He's he, like... he sired her. Is that what you wanted me to say? No, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is cool how all that stuff is connected. So I also feel like when you, it had to be a cool moment for Ron Howard too, to be like, I'm going to go direct solo, which is, you know, at the time, when it was when American Graffiti came out, he was like, "Oh, George is probably working on this thing, and they're probably buds." And I think George, no, Ron Howard is in Light and Magic as well. Isn't George showing him around? He's got like a mustache, looks cool as hell. Is I'm ninety percent sure yeah. he's walking. So that has to be a cool moment for him when he directs solo. He's like, "Yeah, of course I'm going to take over my friend's like legacy." Like, I remember when I first started. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff. I highly recommend that ILM Light and Magic documentary because you were talking about how. Um, American Graffiti is a love letter to cruising, and he was all about that. And that was, like, one of the big things that he wanted to do with Star Wars Mm -hmm. was he wanted it to be, like, cars going fast but in space. And that was the big thing because there was – I don't even remember. What's the very famous space movie that heavily influenced George Lucas? Um, Not 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah, 2001 Space Odyssey. But it was very slow because there's, like, a a shot – that I have, I've never seen the movie before, obviously, but like I've seen like scenes of it. Well, and why stuff. is that obvious? <laughs> because I didn't even know what it was called. <laughs> oh, okay. Good point. Because um, it's old, so it must be bad. Is why but it's it, it has oh, like no. it has like a very similar shot though of like the first shot of a New Hope where the Star Destroyer is going above you, but this one's like a different ship and it's just moving like so slowly yep. and it just takes forever. And like his whole thing was like I just want it to feel like fast paced. Like I want Lair to be like I want 2001, but like. With adrenaline. Energy, yeah. And uh, one thing that was interesting to me in the Light and Magic documentary was when they were talking about the Death Star and designing the Death Star and the whole reason for having the trench going around the circumference of the Death Star was so that there was something to film the X-Wings against so that it could give the perception of speed. Because if you just film something in In space, it doesn't look like it's going fast. Like You need to have something going up against it. And I think that was really interesting to me. And I had a quick question. You said uh, American Graffiti was pretty well received. Was that one changed at all heavily, like in the edit? No, I don't think so. Again, in the edit, I think it was just THX. And I think George Lucas, after that, presumably became really 
stingy in how his edits were were done. And which is why I think in a new hope, he's, I mean, his wife edited it, obviously, yeah, and saved it. I would say, but at the same time, it's like he that clearly had to be a choice, where right? Not saying he married somebody, an editor on purpose, but like having his <laughs> wife actually be like, I trust you with this, you know, with my life, basically. And so I don't think American Graffiti was was altered. I think the guy from 20th Century Fox was like, this movie rules. I don't know what they're talking about. I'll buy it from them. I'll release it. Gotcha. And then you know, it it is crazy to be like in the midst of writing Star Wars to have a movie come out and be huge. Like, it, everyone kind of thought it was going to be... Everyone passed, right? So everyone's being like, oh, this guy is a has-been, whatever, already. And, and think about when George Lucas is making these movies. He's, like, 23 years old. Like, that's insane. Like, jo- like Steven Spielberg, I believe, was 25 years old when he made Jaws. That, I, I'm young. 30 years old, which means... Yeah, doesn't it? Like, I'm <laughs> just like... everything that we've done. Yeah, doesn't well, we have this podcast going? This yeah. is something. But we started it five years later than Steven Spielberg made Jaws. <laughs> okay. Well, this is gonna this is gonna be way bigger than Jaws. You just gotta give it time, Matt. <laughs> exactly. we're, we're, we're blowing up right now. <laughs> I'll be scared of our animatronics one day. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't know. That's... I don't know where I was going to go with that thought, but yeah, it's, man, I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the process of pitching the world's worst ride to Orlando <laughs> yeah. right now. Three guys, no, imagine this, three straight white male podcasters. <laughs> you never see anything like it. You just kind of circle the room and just look at them. Yeah. The most boring ride. It's a, it's a mixture of like a merry-go-round with, uh, it's a new world, or a new, a new, what's this, what's the... They like you nailed it with Mary go around. Brave New World? Or no, what's the... the, the it's ride? a small world. It's, it's a small, small world, world, after all. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, where we're just talking instead of singing. People are just listening to us podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that's... Um, I always think about that story with George Lucas, because I've heard mm-hmm. that before, how he bet everything to get the toy rights and yeah. then the sequel rights. Um, that is such an aggressive bet on yourself that worked out for him, but is a pretty... Stu- like, Can you imagine telling your friends and family that you made that deal at the time, in whenever, 1974, it's like, oh my god, George, are you serious? Like, they were going to pay you big money just to make the movie, and you're yeah. gambling it all. That reminds me of that, um, I think it was a comedian that was talking about how Taylor Swift said, like, oh, follow your dreams, it can work. And yeah. how that's like a person that won the lottery going and telling you to liquidize your assets and buy scratchers, because it can work. <laughs> it's like, can you imagine if Zack Snyder did this with Rebel Moon? <laughs> it was like, no, Netflix, you keep the money, I just want toy rights. And they never watched it, and they're like... I just ruined myself. Yes, exactly. So that's why it's such a, I think every step of the way, I wish there was more to it. I mean, there isn't the fact of what he went to school for and stuff too, but the fact that like Francis Ford Coppola taught him to be like, you have to put butts in seats. What's going to make, you know, not just make a sci-fi movie. Like you're not Kubrick. You can't just do 2001 off the bat, which I think what THX is a bit more, but it's like he made his own thing and he really combined THX and American Graffiti and somehow nailed it in his first go. I mean, it's technically his third go, but in that mixture, like every step of the way, he was able to. And it's weird, like, to be able to go back and watch American Graffiti or go back to watch THX. And you can see those those sparks of Star Wars within those already. Just the the quickness or the vignettes even of, of American Graffiti. And I feel like if you link all those together, um, it really does create a, a semblance of Star Wars. If you just watch those two movies and be like, yeah, he's, he's going to make gold. And he did. And I think it's crazy to have somebody an executive gamble on somebody that much to buy a movie, release it, and then pay him $150,000, $115,000 to go write another movie. Mm-hmm. But that's how, I know it's a quicker Rogue One, but I know that that's kind of, in my mind, how George Lucas sort of came to make Star Wars and the fact of little creative decisions and having studios screw him over. 
But does anybody have any force for thought, which is our name of our show and what's uh, written on Luke's shirt? Well, we normally don't do a force for thought with our rogue ones, but we missed our force for thought last week. If you were listening and you wanted to hear one, we we forgot. I'm sorry. Um, but today's you were asking Matt if it will um relate to your rogue one, and I said I didn't know because I didn't know what your rogue one was about. But it kind of yes. does because we're talking about George Lucas. I was rewatching not the logs, <laughs> the logs, the Epstein plate logs. <laughs> no, no, we're, no, not no, talk- no, 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 we're not talking about that. But we are talking about women. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are two female characters in that movie. Can you name the second one? Yes. Give me a second. <clears throat> um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a big statement. I I'm, don't know. I'm almost certain there are only two. There's, I would say there's definitely only two with speaking roles. Is but it someone just like giving the briefing on Hoth? Uh, yes, basically. It's the lady that says, stand by, ion control. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's a woman. And uh, I was watching it, and I was like, that's weird. That, that didn't need to be a woman, though. It didn't need he to be a woman. He was being inclusive. But the Ion Cannon mm-hmm. is very famously and kind of already been very well memed that it looks like a boob. Yeah, that's so, true. Now I'm wondering about which came first. Did George Lucas have a lady Ion Cannon controller and say, well, then the gun has to be shaped like a boob? Or did the prop design come in and George Lucas was like, oh. This gun looks like a boob. We need a girl to control it. I don't I don't think it was either. I'm sure it was subconscious to some degree. I wouldn't be surprised if they did play a, a role one way or another, though, where George Lucas was like, oh, that is a pretty cool design. And then he saw this woman's audition tape and he was like, I don't know why. I have a good feeling about her. <laughs> it, ju- it just seems a little suspicious. I wonder who designed the Ion Cannon. Was that a Ralph McQuarrie? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. That's why he keeps coming back to Ralph. He's like, Ralph, you, you know me. <laughs> you got you, something, you know my me, friend. Bud. But that's your force for thought for last week. Um, go ahead and chew it up really quick because we got another ro- another episode coming out tomorrow with a whole new force for thought. So True. thanks for listening. Follow us on socials. We're on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and we'll see you next time. See you, Sammy.